Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are back with another episode. This one is number four in the Grio Talks series, the podcast where you generate realistic intellectual output together. And also, we're providing you a bunch of content for you to be able to feed your mind with. It is your boy, Nels. Hope everybody's doing okay. Hope everybody's living all right. Uh, it's a little hectic out there in these streets. Uh, make sure that you're taking care of yourself and you're doing what you need to do to make sure that you wake up every day healthy and happy. All right. Now, with that being said, I think we just need to get straight to the point. Pow. Shout out to my dog, Joe. So how am I feeling today? Um, I'm feeling highs and lows, highs and lows, you know, with everything that's been going on. In the past couple of weeks, especially with uh, the the brutal beating and murder of Tyree Nichols, there's just a lot to to digest in that situation. And, you know, just some food for thought. You know, I know a lot of people are, you know, expressing, you know, their views and how they feel about what's been going on. Um, as you hear my grandma in the background yelling at Congo. Shout out to Congo for those of y'all know Congo. That's 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 our dog. Um, but anyway, um, you know, the Tyree Nichols, um, situation has definitely, um, brought some interesting conversations to light, especially the fact that they were members of Divine Nine organization, um, Omega Sci-Fi fraternity who has released statements and has also, um, if I'm not mistaken, have expelled their members from those three members from the fraternity, uh, in the video, you can see, one of them clearly wearing a band. Uh, so, you know, that definitely led to some some discussion. But I, I want to change the perspective a little bit. And, and I want to kind of, you know, just get out of the general issue that we're talking about here, which is, you know, race, naturally. And now that it's black cops beating and murdering a black man, again, this has made the discussions different from, from what we're used to. And as I've expressed to friends before, you know, you, the media is definitely to blame for this because there's only one particular brand of police brutality that we see, which is normally white cops and black citizens of, of the United States. But I think this is a bigger social justice issue. I think this is about police brutality in general, which is something that I've been saying for a while now. Does this mean that race should be something not mentioned that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that we need to look at it from a broader perspective right because white cops kill white men black cops kill black men asian cops kill asian men hispanic cops kill hispanic men and so on and so forth asians hispanics hispanics asians black and white black and black whatever and so on and so forth police in general are abusing their power on american citizens and this is something that we need to discuss on a grander scale remember these cops are are taking oaths to protect and serve that's what they're supposed to do and if the stories that they've been saying is true that tyree nichols has been dealing with the ex-girlfriend or ex-wife of one of the officers then this is a deeper darker story and again something that needs to be investigated and something that needs to be further discussed 
in in communities across the nation. This is this is an issue. You know, if you have if you're in a position where you're supposed to be protecting and taking care of the community, serving the community, this is not something that you should be utilizing in order to have a power trip. You can't abuse a power that's been given to you by way of the very community you're supposed to protect. That's just backwards thinking. So, yeah, that's that's how I'm feeling about that. In general, me personally, uh, mentally, I'm, I'm hanging in there, you know, uh, just trying to keep everything in order. Still missing my mom, per usual. But back at work, work has been great. Uh, flag football season starts in about two and a half weeks. I'm really excited. The girls are coming along fine. So it's going to be good to see how they progress. And for those of y'all who are interested and want to see a Nova flag football game, you know, you guys know how to reach my line, reach my line, hit me up. I'd love to invite you out to a game and, and you guys can see what these girls got to bring. So yeah, that wraps up how I'm feeling and we can get straight to the main topic. I'm not going to be talking about much more on this episode than this, because there's just so much to unpack. So as a lot of you are aware, um, the 1619 project is out in Hulu, and it is a four-part documentary, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if there's more episodes. I know there's four currently right now um, on Hulu, and we are going to discuss the first two. But before I do that, I believe it's important to provide some background to the 1619 Project, okay? The 1619 Project is a intellectual journey of sorts for... A writer from the New York Times by the name of Nicole Hannah-Jones. She also, I believe, writes for the magazine as well, because there's a New York Times newspaper and a New York Times magazine. And what she wants to do here is she wants to talk about the contributions and the consequences of the slavery of black Americans and place it where it belongs in the overarching historical narrative of the United States of America. So she releases this in August of 2019, which was the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans in the English colony of Virginia. I am pretty sure that's Jamestown because that's the first settlement in Virginia. Now, the year is very interesting because we have enslaved Africans coming in a year before the pilgrims do in 1620. So what this means is in the earliest aspect of American history, enslaved Africans, black Americans was always involved. And that's a part of the story that is never seen. It's a story that's it's a part of the story that's never talked about. So this is taking a sense of revisionist history um, historiography and giving it a deeper diver, a deep, I'm sorry, a deeper dive into what really was a lot of it that we don't know. It is there for us to read and to harness, but a lot of us just don't know. So the book itself, which is just a collection of everything that was written, um, was very well put together. So it's a bunch of essays, it's a bunch of poetry. It's called the 1619 Project, a new a new origin story. Very well done, very well put together. If you guys haven't read it or at least seen excerpts of it, please do yourself the service of doing so. But we're not going to talk about the 
1619 project book. We're going to talk about the 1619 six part. Excuse me. I just found out that it is a six part documentary TV series. And we're going to talk about the first two parts. If you haven't watched it yet, um, just a warning. There will be some spoilers in there, but it will not ruin the experience for you nonetheless, because I will not dive into every single part of both episodes, just certain highlights and kind of provide context in my viewpoints, because I'd love to be able to hear you guys talk about it. So please, 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 please watch it. We will eventually do a live on it. I'm still trying to determine if I'm going to do a live on it after every two episodes or if I'm just going to wait until the overall project is out, then we'll talk about it. However, we will get to that when we get to that. For right now, I just want to talk to you guys about both episodes. So there are two episodes that's been out so far. Um, And I think the other two, there's two episodes every week because that's pretty much how it's been. So the next two is out. We're going to talk about the first two. Uh, the first two, the first one was called Democracy. The second one was called Race. The first episode was very deep. And what it pretty much talks about is how, you know, national mythology, the mythology of the United States has credited the founding fathers for establishing America as home as, as home of the free. But even after the independence of white freedom in America was predicated on black slavery, You know, slaves dreamed of freedom, and even as they lived without it, they fought for freedom for centuries all the way back to before the country's founding. And according to the words of the journalist who deserves all the credit, Miss Nicole Hannah-Jones, she says it is black people who have been the perfectors of our democracy. Now, In the episode, one thing that she does bring to light, which is true, is the erasure, the erasing of black people from colonial history. If you look at colonial history, there's not very much um, African-American history that's inputted in there, but she does a good job of doing it. And how she does it is one of the situations she brings up is Dunmore's Proclamation. For those who doesn't know who who Lord Dunmore is, Lord Dunmore was a governor of the state of Virginia. Lord Dunmore obviously was on the side of the loyalists, um, him being a British person himself, this who could only be governors of the colonies at the time, was aware that the Patriots were planning to at some point revolt, which eventually became the American Revolution. So what Lord Dunmore decided to do was pretty much make a proclamation stating that if the Patriots decide to keep, if the Patriots do decide to attack, that he would release and free all the slaves in the state. Obviously, it's a reach. Obviously, he wasn't going to do that, but he tried to feed into the fear of every colonist that was there to try to prevent them from war. And the war ended up happening anyway. And so as they were pushing, Dunmore decided to take a bunch of slaves and free them and start his own regiment, which was called the Ethiopian Regiment. I don't know if there was a number with it or not. And they ended up actually getting into a war and the regiment of the freed slaves and Africans won that war. And, you know, it's it's these series of events 
that moves the revolution into the South. And according to, you know, colonial history, there is no American victory in the American Revolution without the South. And you have slaves fighting on both sides. So even in that history within itself, there is black influence, but it's never discussed. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that with colonial history, there's a fight to include slavery. Right. It is very important to understand that black contributions in the full history of America is just as much as it's a fight to include black Americans in democracy itself. Right. So to have black contribution just be included is an overarching fight. Right. And that was a quote that I took directly from the documentary itself, like the inclusion in that history is the same way is the same fight as just inclusion in that history in general. And one of the main major themes that that comes up in that first episode is the right to vote. Right. It's about the right to vote. Interesting story. And, and this story right here will take place for what I usually do as my interesting Florida history. I won't do an interesting Florida history for you guys today, but I will do this story for you guys. So there was an organization called the American Colonization Society. And what they tried to do was they were attempting to buy land in Africa. And their idea was in order to stop um, the Civil War from occurring. I'm sorry that I'm taking such a big jump, but it all ties in. You just got to give me a minute. So. In order to see if they, they could prevent the, the conflict that was going to come from free northern states and southern slave states, the ACS decided to come up with the idea of buying a plot of land in Africa to send all the African-Americans back over to Africa. And land was bought, actually, and the, the name of the land is called Liberia. Let it sink in for a, for a second. Liberty, Liberia. And if you have not, go look up the flag of Liberia and see if there's any similarities to any flag on the planet. Just let me know. But Lincoln decides to call a meeting and he has a meeting with very influential black leaders and those who were pushing for the abolishing of slavery and pretty much pushes to convince them to leave the United States and to move to Africa. And mind you, this is about three, four, maybe even five generations after the first group of slaves are brought to the United States. And, you know, the argument that Frederick Douglass says is that, you know, we're involved in the building of this country just as much as you all are, which he was absolutely right. I mean, black hands and shoulders and legs participating in the participated in the major constructions of this country, building up the city of Washington, D.C., um, look up the history of Wall Street. Also, who do you think laid down the railroads for the trains that was what well, was? Yeah, that was for the trains that was coming up and down the, the eastern seaboard at the time. Right. This is this is all laid down by black hands. So the one thing that you that cannot be denied is any major 
building any major project from those times, there's pretty much a, there's pretty much a very high chance that there was some kind of African-American involvement in it. So they felt that it was just as much their right to stay than it was to leave. And, and another interesting an- anecdote from the anecdote from the show from the documentary, I'm sorry, is when Nicole Hannah-Jones is talking about her father who served in the U.S. Army. And she speaks about how her father flew a crisp flag outside of their house every day for as long as they could remember. And it was a point of embarrassment for her. And she explains why on the documentary. I don't need to get into all that because you will listen to it at some point. But what she said that was very interesting was how much pride the father had in that flag because of what he did and what his ancestor did to make that flag mean something. And I thought that was rather deep because that is absolutely a reason to have pride in that flag. Although the country itself did not treat her father in the best of nature, he still had pride for the contributions that he knew himself and others made to the relevancy of the relevancy, I'm sorry, of the United States of America. So I thought that was really interesting. However, moving on, so it makes the transition from the inclusion of black history into colonial history, and it's a wonderful segue into the black struggle to vote because it's one and the same. And she talks to a man named MacArthur Cotton who explains how the struggle for voting was for him personally. And he talks about how he went to the city hall to try to vote and how he got arrested. And when he gets arrested, he is handcuffed and well, he's handcuffed to a like a pipe that is pretty much at the top of a wall. And he's left there hanging from those handcuffs for days. And he pretty much urinates on himself. He defecates on himself. And if it's not for a church investigation to come and find him, there was a high potential that he wasn't going to make it. During that part of the interview, you could see more or less the hurt in his eyes and the empathy in her eyes as she apologizes to MacArthur Cotton, her being Nicole Hannah-Jones. And him saying, don't apologize. If anything, you should be glad. You should be glad that we were able to endure that so you could be able to do what you have to do now. And that scene was super powerful to me because it's it's honestly amazing to me. Everything that was done in order to prevent black Americans from voting. Just the simple act of voting, which is the most American thing you can do. We had, you know, people that were dying from it and the tests that were made and the laws that were made and everything that was put there as hurdles to prevent the black American population from voting. I mean, you know, there's games that we see to this day that that come from that time, like perfect example. If you ever go to a gas station, you see like a bunch of like gumballs and stuff in there. And it says, guess how many gumballs are in this jar? That is literally from 
that era, reading tests and and making things super difficult, literacy tests, if you will, that prevented black Americans from voting. So, you know, that was really cool to see these stories come together. A couple of things that I wanted to point out, um, a quote, there was a quote that said towards the end of it. We have made tremendous progress towards realizing our democratic ideals, and yet the ongoing fights over voting and elections show that a significant portion of our country still does not believe in democracy. If democracy requires sharing power with multiracial citizens in our multiracial nation. That's wild. A significant portion of our country still does not believe in democracy if democracy requires sharing power with multiracial citizens and our multiracial nation. So this is something that we have seen evolve. And now we're moving on to the Trump situation and everything that's happened over the last few years where, you know, this is obviously not something democratic when a president who loses an election challenges the election and says that the election is wrong there's something that is democratically wrong with that moment and that makes a sense because you know someone says that trump is a part of the situation he's not a cause of the situation what we're seeing is not anything new it's just a continuation of what has happened before right and we're kind of coming to a very interesting uh, crossroads in our country's history because you know this is you know, another time similar to the other two times where African-Americans have tried to assert themselves in not just American history, but American politics. The first time being Reconstruction and the second time being the Civil Rights Movement, where African-Americans have tried to even out how voting will work as well as the power behind voting. Right. But now we're seeing a lot more blocks. We're seeing a lot more people be more outright with their feelings against black Americans voting. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next four to eight years. So let's stay tuned. So that that pretty much is some context for episode one. I made sure to not say too, too much. Let you guys see what it's about. And I want to hear your views. And I don't want to put too much of my biases out there. Now, episode two, episode two called race. I loved this episode. And I will explain why it, it threw me for an absolute loop. Because you know, I'm thinking, again, this episode that is about race is going to pretty much divvy up and show the issues between both sides of the spectrum, the black and the white spectrum, right? However, this takes a very interesting turn. And for the most part, I want to say like 85 to 90% of the episode is talking about black women, which I loved. Right. For me, I say this all the time. I am a I'm a feminist. I'm a fear. I'm a pure feminist where I believe that women should be allowed the same equal rights as everybody else. I've always believed that. Especially black women, because, again, black women, whether a lot of us want to admit it or not, are a minority group inside of a minority group. So, you know, I always call that double L's. And this show, this episode really highlights that. And I really, really enjoyed it. They want the first thing that they throw out there is how J. Marion Sims, who's considered, quote unquote, the father of of modern gynecology, performed surgeries on black women with no anesthesia, none. And, And this was how he found out a lot about the woman's body and things that she had to take care of. And, you know, it's absolutely crazy, like, uh, 
how things laid out. And next thing that was brought up was the story of Chrissy Sample, which I won't get too, too much into. But what I will say is that the fact that she had a doctor that neglected how she felt and normalized her pain, it led to her having a stillborn when she was supposed to have twins. So she pretty much carried two babies in her stomach while one had already passed away. So it's it's a sad story. But what you see in there is themes that have been in our culture and in our society from the jump. It also makes me want to say that in the black community, we absolutely need to invest in our doulas. We need doulas. We need representation. We need people who understand the process. Husbands, boyfriends, quote unquote, baby daddies, whatever. You need to know and understand how pregnancy works, how your wife's body works. And you need to be an advocate to make sure that your wife sees it through because the the deaths that come from pregnancy, whether it's the child or the mother itself, in for black Americans is three times that for white Americans. So that's something to think about. They also talked about Butler Island Plantation, which is a perfect example of slave times and the just the, the oppression and the pure brutality that black women had to go through. They talk about Fanny Kemble, who's Pierce Butler's wife. She's a British actress. And Pierce Butler is the owner of Butler Island Plantation. And her diary is what we would consider a primary source. She is there. She's in the moment. She wrote about it. And she talks about a lot of what the women go through. Um, two names that get brought up in there is Roswell King Sr. and Jr. And just the things that they did to these women, just the rape and just purposely having kids with these women, calling them Negro breeding wenches, then they were sold for that. Um, the word that they use for creating more slaves because slavery, I believe, um, well, the importing of African slaves is outlawed by the Congress in 1680, if I'm not mistaken. And so due to that, there needs to be more slaves that were born. So this is when they rely on the black women to create this new slave population. And the numbers jumped tremendously from tens of thousands to four million in a matter of 20 years, 25 years, which is an unbelievable rate. But what's happening is that these women, while they're working on the field, are consistently expected to give birth. So you have women that are pregnant 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 times, and they're having like stillborn babies five or six times. So they may have 12 pregnancies, but they birth six, seven, eight children, which is absolutely unbelievable. Beyond that, they would force, let's say there is a man who's six foot, 212 pounds, and there's a lady who's five, eight. 165 pounds they, they felt them two were good for breeding they would literally put them in a house lock them in and tell them that they had to they had to have sexual relations with each other and if they didn't and if there was no proof of an attempt of impregnation then they would give them 30 lashes 40 lashes 50 lashes whatever so they would purposely try to create more numbers when it came to their slave population and the word that they would use for it was hashtag future increase 
which is a phrasing that we use now for farm animals. So let let that sink in. And the word that would be used for, you know, creating these babies, it was breeding. Breeding is the word that was used. And think about that concept for a second and think about what we use breeding for in terms of animals. It's unbelievable, you know, and these are things that we absolutely have to talk about because one of the historians, she says, and I quote, we have to speak about it because we haven't. Right. We need to talk about the capitalization of the womb of the black woman, which is something that they stated with like what a phrase the capitalization of the womb of the black woman that is wild that is wild this is the reason why we need more documentaries like this this is the reason why we need to be watching documentaries like this this is the information that we need to make sure that we pass especially now that they have this anti-woke act in the state of florida and they're trying to get rid of these 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 courses such as ap african-american history because of what they call historical inaccuracies, which I still need to see the sourcing for because, you know, I'm not even going to get emotional about it. I'm just going to keep it from a very logical standpoint. As a historian, if something is historically inaccurate, then what we need to see is the sourcing to prove that it is historically inaccurate. So then I will always stand on what I believe and how I see the information that is presented in front of my face. Now, high infant mortality is a theme that's there. Is spoken regularly. And, you know, this, the interesting thing was they were saying that this could be due to the trauma that women have dealt with in the past that has permeated to their daughters and granddaughters and great granddaughters and great great granddaughters. And this is just not an American thing. This is also a Caribbean thing, right? Another quote that stood out to me from that episode was when they said, the legacy of slavery is so ingrained in our system and we don't even see it, which is absolutely correct. This is where race comes from. Race absolutely comes from this, right? This is where the one drop rule comes from, you know, and it, it you know, there's still phrases that is used in particular countries. I mean, particular states in the South, quadroon and octoroon to say how black you are, how black you're not. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I don't want to say too many stories from the 1619 project to to water down your time to enjoy it and take it in and learn the information and soak it in. So I, I'll, I'll stop here and I hope that I, I put enough information, enough context out there to get you interested in watching it, because I really, really think that this is a worthwhile experience and you should absolutely watch it. And you have the opportunity to read the books, you should read the books. And for those of you all who have children 1619 also has children books as well. If I'm not mistaken, I think it is called, it has something to do with the water. I'll have to look that up and, and let you guys know what it is. And I can always put it in the, I can always put it on my IG page. I just wish I remember what it was called. But beyond that, oh, I have it in my notes. I'm sorry. It's called the 1619 Project Born on the Water. A children's picture book. So, yes, it's, it's super important. The last thing that I'm going to say is what I thought was interesting, and it's something that we see in our community now, is the harmful, false narratives of black women's sexuality. It is so normalized that we don't even recognize it anymore. 
the particular type of black women we see on TV, the black women that we see, you know, back in the day in our music videos, the black women that we see on Instagram as models, the type of black women that, you know, are that are pretty much running our pop culture. Right. Look at the over sexualization versus, you know, other cultures. And it's not about it's not about just what they're wearing or how they act, because obviously in all cultures they have that. It's just about the sexualization of it all. It is just something for you to think about. And also, you you got to remember just how much slavery plays a part so much that it affects even, you know, how we date. It affects how we date. It affects, you know, our, our marital affairs and how we deal with our significant others, our loved ones and so on and so forth. Let me read you something that I saw on social media and it's something that I've I've been teaching in my African American history classes and it's not something that I'm going to say you should quote unquote believe in but it's something to discuss something to hear think about and get feedback on so think about this the reason black men and women are having a hard time dating is because we were not raised to be compatible our parents raised girls to be severely independent but raised the boys to be overly dependent on his mother Our parents are so strict with the girls, but lenient with the boys. You can't raise the boys to want feminine women, but then raise the girls to be masculine. You can't raise a woman to want loyal men when you let the boys do irresponsible things and brush it off as them, quote, unquote, just being boys. Be consistent. Hashtag stolen thoughts. You know, this is this is something that is ingrained in slavery. You have to remember the the concept of buck breaking, where they would take the biggest slave off the boat or once they got to the plantation and these men would beat them pretty much to to the verge of death and then they would rape this man in front of everyone so you got to think about it women who are carrying these kids knowing what their potential child could go through their son they would teach their sons to be physically strong but not necessarily mentally weak but mentally lenient right to not challenge to not to not be the one to say hey this is wrong Uh, at the same time they would teach their daughters to be independent to think for themselves to be mentally strong as well right so you have this behavior of i can do bad by myself right you have this culture of of men who necessarily don't step up in the way that is needed to be stepped up right but these are things that we need to discuss This is the reason why we need these projects. This is the reason why we need to talk about these topics. It is excruciatingly important. And I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. I can't wait to to talk about this further, not just on Instagram Live, but eventually, hopefully over the summer, we can do our first legitimate live event. And we can definitely talk about this some more. So, you know, I, I can't wait to hear your feedback. I'm very excited, as you can tell. And, you know, yeah, that that is that is everything in a nutshell for this episode. You know, we're generating realistic intellectual output together. Right. Make sure you take this content and you feed your mind. All right. You know what it is. The purpose is in the slogan. We say this time and time and time again, man. I'm just very happy to be here with you guys. I'm very happy to, to see another episode. I'm happy to just be getting the support, you know, and, and the mission is in the name. The mission is in the name. Griot Talks, generating realistic and intellectual output together. This is your boy Nels. I am out. 
It's a windy night at a dark time Cruising through the city in my Honda Civic 09 Position that you put me in was tiptoeing landmines Waiting to implode so I can open up the gold mines The gold mine was never afraid to make an escape Don't put a cast on my arm before I'm getting my break I know I made my mistakes, but I am raising the stakes So when I'm only finally gone, you know I'm making this shape Walking on water like Messiah, my heart got desires Dive inside the lake and you can see a burning fire Never take a dollar just to act like I'm a liar Feeling like yeah, the way I'm running through the wire Summertime, wintertime, all the time I think about you, we could be roses in the sky Just picture the moment we see our frame come alive Completing